Great to see you tonight. We're going to be in Genesis 24, long chapter. Father, thanks for health and for strength and purpose, mission. Thanks for your work that was accomplished on our behalf. We are assured of a renewed kingdom because you've defeated every enemy. Because you've given us the down payment, which is your spirit, that we have become the very temple of God. That one day we will be with you work with you, partner with you in ways that are incredible and unimaginable. And those things are our hope. So I ask, Lord, as we allow your word to wash us and cleanse us and change us and purify us, I pray that we'd walk from here better equipped to be living as an outpost of that coming kingdom, to be living in that reality today and tomorrow as kids of the king. So work, may we be pliable. I ask this in your name, amen. Amen. So um, if you're here on Sunday, you know chapter 24 is... It's all about finding a wife for Isaac. And when I think about that, I don't know if there's a harder thing to do on earth. Like finding the right spouse. Is there something harder? If you buy the wrong car, you just sell it. Right? You buy the wrong house, get out of it. But it's not that way in marriage. I don't know if there's something harder. Maybe raising kids... That could be. I had one couple that's about ready to get married. They said, well, since it's harder to raise kids, we're not going to have them then. <laughs> kids are necessary, man. They're, God uses them. So it's, it's difficult. Industries now have popped up that say, hey, we'll match you with the right person. Right? eHarmony. Take this, fill this information out, and it'll give you this profile, and then we'll find people that match your profile, right? There's a huge industry. There's advice, like the best place to meet a spouse is at church. I'm like, I don't know about that. I talk to people that come to church. (laughs) I can't vouch for him. (laughs) I will not vouch for him, in fact. I don't know. So it's hard. I think it does matter where you meet your husband or your wife. If you meet him at a rave... Okay, when you come home and there's a rave in your house, that's what you get. So if things do matter, like, okay, yeah. But it's hard. I just, it's hard. And then when you have kids, you're then very worried about who they marry, right? Because whoever they marry, you're stuck with them as parents. (laughs) 
Like it's almost like you give your heart to your kids and then they offer it to complete strangers that you have no control over. I mean, it's really like, wow, wow, hard, hard thing. So Genesis 24, it's what it is. It's finding a wife for Isaac. I call the first nine verses the quest. It's given to this servant of Abraham. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and Yahweh had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. Yahweh, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But... If the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. The quest. Verse one, summing up now really the life of Abraham He was old, well advanced in years, probably 140 years old, and Yahweh had blessed Abraham in all things. He was old, but he was blessed. I like that. That's not always the way things work out, is it? Sometimes people get old and they get grumpy and bitter and angry. I call them grumpas right? This is not the way things always work. Abraham is a blessing to the people around him. Abraham is blessed. Why? What was his secret? What did he do in his life that put him on a trajectory to be this kind of person that, hey, he's great to have around. I like him. He's a great neighbor. He's awesome. I think there's a couple keys, but I'll give you one. When Abraham comes to the new land back in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to him. One of the first things he does is he builds an altar to Yahweh. Now, normally, when you would travel to a new land 4,000 years ago, the belief was this. There were these gods that were territorial gods. Like there was the God that was over Babylon and there was the God that was over Israel and there was the God that was over 
And the God that was over the promised land was Baal, and he actually lived at Mount Hermon. So when you came into a new God's territory, the first thing you would do is you build an altar and you'd make a sacrifice to that God. What you're saying is, hey, we're good, right? You're not going to smite me or crush me or give me a disease when I'm in your land. Abraham comes into Baal's land, and what does he do? He makes a sacrifice to Yahweh. He's saying, no, there's one God, and that's it. And I'm not afraid of these Baal gods. I worship Yahweh. And it becomes a pattern in Abraham's life. He is always worshiping Yahweh. That's what he does. So he makes altar after altar. As he travels around, there's this theme over and over. He makes an altar and he worships Yahweh. Do you know that you become what you worship? Whatever you idolize, whatever you put as the most important thing in your life, you start to move towards that. Here's the best example I have. Who here remembers Chris Farley? Remember him? Kind of. Right? If you keep doing that, you're going to live in a van down by the river, right? I love that skit. (laughs) So Chris Farley had this idol who he worshiped. His name? James Belushi. Who knows James Belushi? See, they get the two sides there. (laughs) So James Belushi, here's James Belushi. James Belushi was a funny, fat guy who worked at Saturday Night Live, moved on to make movies, and died of a drug overdose at 33 years of age. John Belushi? James Belushi. Rock, paper, scissors for it. Is it John, the one that died? John Belushi. Thank you. In my notes, I just have Belushi. So took a stab at it. Sorry, John, you're still alive. Or James. Sorry, James. So John Belushi, funny fat guy, Saturday Night Live, uh, went on to make movies, died of a drug overdose at 33 years of age. Chris Farley, funny fat guy, went to Saturday Night Live, went on to make movies, died of a drug overdose at 33 years of age. Like, it's almost uncanny. You're like, whoa, because you become what you worship. Psalm 115 says this, that there's these guys that make these idols. And these idols, they make them just like this. And then verse eight says this, and those that worship them, those that made them become like them. You become like what you worship. Abraham now for 65, longer than that, for, no, 65 years, he has been worshiping Yahweh. And he is being shaped by that, by that trust, by the grace, by the mercy. And now he is a blessed blessing of a man. That's what happens right here. I love that. But notice, even though he's blessed in all things, he still has a problem. He has a 40-year-old son that's not married yet. So he's like, man, we got to get cracking on this thing. Just because you're blessed does not mean there won't be battles. The battles end when we go to glory. On this side, there will be battles, right? Just because you're blessed does not mean you'll be in a lazy boy being hand-fed peeled grapes. There's always going to be a giant. There's always going to be a mountain. There's always going to be battle and activity, but you're still blessed in it. So Abraham, blessed in all this, he knows I got to take care of this issue. So the second thing he does here is he bucks the cultural trend. Abraham, as you followed him, he's getting richer and more powerful. 
Abimelech, a big king, knows this. He's like, dude's rich and powerful. Wow. So back 4,000 years ago, actually still to this day in certain regions, marriage was about power. Two very powerful men, families, would have their son and their daughter get married because it sealed the alliance. That's what you did back then. It made you more powerful. It made you safe. If you got attacked, that family would come help you. So there were all these alliances that would happen. So you'd have all these chieftains in this region who would be begging to give their daughters to Isaac to seal an alliance with Abraham. And Abraham has probably said no dozens of times. Nope. Nope. Why? He says no Canaanites. No Canaanites. What Abraham is saying is, no, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. No, no, we're, we're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not power. We're not getting married for power or for money or for any of those reasons. We're getting married because there is a promise on us and a mission for us from God to accomplish. And that overrides everything else in culture. I love that. It's so awesome. And this is what Abraham knew about the Canaanites. God had told him in chapter 15, verse 16, hey, these guys are really evil and it's gonna get more and more evil for the next 400 years. So Abraham is like, I'm not gonna be a part of that thing. I'm getting away from that. So he grabs his number one servant, his best servant, and he says this, hey, stick your hand under my thigh. How awkward is that? <laughs> You're talking super awkward. I'm gonna make it much more awkward for you in a moment. Okay, you can look this up. This is a famous resource. A lot of people use it. It's called Freeman's. And it's manners and customs in the Bible. The word here used for thigh, it's warek. And literally, this is Freeman's. He says this, it is the male procreative organs. Yeah, oh my, someone's, oh my God. Yes, exactly. I'm so happy for a handshake now. Like, let's just seal this with a handshake, buddy. <laughs> this is like unbelievable. No translation does that though, but that's really the truth. It was, this is so serious. We're going to the source, if you would. <laughs> Unbelievable. Culturally shocking is all I got to say. Here's my question. Yeah, today, <laughs> keep your thigh away from my hand or else. <laughs> Here's my question for us men and ladies. Would we have a servant, and I'm not willing to put his hand on him, my thigh, but willing to do this, take this quest, go find a spouse for my child. Is there anyone in your life right now that you could trust at that level? That's hardcore. <laughs> Abraham is entrusting his most prized possession, the future of the promise of God. He's entrusting it to a servant, to a friend, to a buddy. Do you have anyone like that? And men, I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it. As men age, we tend to isolate in our garage with projects, with, that kind of, with hobbies. Women are the opposite. Women tend to network. As they age, they keep kind of expanding their groups, and they get more friends, and they, they go to tea, and they do stuff together. So men, if you're going to have this kind of a person, men, you got to start investing now. 
And I, you, you can see this actually in kids. I saw it in my kids. I had three daughters to begin with, Carissa, Bella, Gabrielle. And I'd come home from work and it was instantly, I'd come in the door and it was, daddy, sit down, let's have a tea party. Daddy, how was your day at work? I'm like, you're four. Why are you asking me at work, right? It was just constantly involve me, get me in there, get me sat down, let's talk, let's share. Do you want something else? Like, right? Then Elijah comes along. And I come home from work and he'd be like, working on his Legos. I'd be like, hey, bud, what's up? Nothing. <laughs> hey, you want to go outside and play? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of busy here, dad. I mean, do I have to? I'm like, really? Wow. I mean, just, night, just our DNA is different. And if we're ever going to have a servant like this, men, it starts now. It starts investing in those relationships, talking, calling, going to lunch, having just a, almost a rhythm. Hey, every Thursday morning at 6.30, we meet and we talk. It, it almost has to be that if you're ever going to have somebody like this. Abraham's been doing that. And verse 7, the guy says, hey, th- this is a hard quest. I'm going to go across this desert. What if I get there? And the girl doesn't want to come home. And so what does Abraham say? It's verse seven. Yahweh, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. What Abraham is saying is, I trust God, bro. Don't sweat it. I trust God. So Sunday, we talked about finding your match. And I said, what I'm going to do in chapter 24 is actually a little dangerous. And here's the danger in what I did on Sunday. It's trying to make chapter 24 normative, where this is the only way that you can find a spouse. Here's the way that you do it, right? Here's the steps. There's a problem with that. Because if you keep reading the Bible, you'll come to Isaac's son, Jacob. How does he get a spouse? If you know the story, he goes to a well pretty much close to this well. He's there. He sees Rachel come out. She's so beautiful. He runs up to her and kisses her and cries and then moves the stone from on top of the well. Am I going to tell Elijah? Bro, here's how you find a wife. You see a good looking girl? Run up and kiss her, right? He's gonna be in prison. So you can't make that normative, right? You keep going a little further than that. How about Esther? How's she find a husband? Are we telling anyone that's how you find a husband? Win Persian idol, right? Have a night with the king. And if you're good enough there, he'll keep you. Who's telling anyone to get a wife that way? Or who's telling any girl to get a husband that way? No one, all right? So Yes, I think there's wisdom. You can always get wisdom. This story, here's what it's supposed to be doing to you and me. It's supposed to be shaping us, not for a formula, like here's the formula. It's supposed to be shaping us, like Abraham, to trust God. That here's this really radically important decision, and there's no formula for it. You know, we all got to walk this thing out the way we're going to walk it out. But when we're walking it out, what you'll see is over and over and over this servant prays, hey, help me. Is this the right one? He gets counsel. That, that's just wisdom. So there's no formula. It's it, it just trust God. So God may not be present in chapter 24, but oh, wow, is he ever active? And that's our hope. And that's our prayer. 
God, I'm taking a step. I'm moving forward. Be active and direct me. It's Proverbs chapter three. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge God and he shall direct your path. That's really what you're seeing. It's that shaping of our mind this chapter is supposed to do, okay? So he leaves, verse 10, took 10 of his master's camels, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master and arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Yahweh, God of my master Abraham, please grant to me success today and show steadfast love, it's that word hased, huge word, to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed to your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast or has said steadfast love to my master. I titled this little section, Getting Practical. So imagine for a second, you're in this unnamed servant's sandals and a boss who you really love, you've been with him for a long time, your partner's in the company, man, you're kin almost. He says, I need you to go to Canada and get a wife for my son. So you show up in Quebec, what are you gonna do? right? How awkward is that? Like, he's just traveled 500 miles across a desert. He's in a land that maybe he has never been to before, maybe a language that he's not completely familiar with. I mean, it's really, really hard. So guess what he does? He goes to the location where young girls will go to. I mean, right? How practical is that? That doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure that out. Hey, you know what? If I'm looking for a young girl... Let's go to the bass fishing derby. No, let's go to the bowling alley. No, he goes where they're going to be at. It's brilliant. It's very, very practical. He begins practical. This is where girls will be, so that's where I'm going to go. And then the next step is he prays. There's your combination. You do what's practical, and then you pray. And you pray. And you keep doing what's practical, trusting God will direct my path. I think too often what happens is people are really good at one or the other. Either they're the super spiritual kind of person that's like, I just sit and pray all day. And if God wants to do something with me, I'm right here on the couch. He knows where to find me. (laughs) Okay, you're going to be there a long time. And then there's the other side that's just hyper-practical and they're never praying so they never know really what they're supposed to be doing. They're not getting direction from heaven. It's that beautiful combination this guy shows. I'm going to the place where the girls are and then I'm praying, God, show me who the right one is. It's awesome. It's practical and it's prayerful. That's how you move out. And Sunday I talked about, he really wants qualifications and it's, I want a servant. This girl needs to be able to pull up 
200 gallons of water. She has to volunteer to pull up 200 gallons of water. There's nothing about looks. Hey, have her look like this. None of that. Because if you shop with your eye, you will always overspend. Be very careful about that. So I read this survey. I thought it was really interesting where they went to a secular college and they asked singles, hey, what do you want in a spouse? And this is their list. They said, number one, good personality. Number two, fun loving. Number three, good looks. Number four, wealthy. Number five, smart. Secular college. Okay. Then they went to a Christian college. Same thing. So is Christianity going to inform this decision? This is what they found. First four were the same. Good personality, fun loving, good looks, money, but then coming in at number five was be a Christian. Nudging smart to number six. So what believers are looking for is fun, loving, rich, dumb Christians, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of sad. I think we have to be very, very careful in these things if you're single and looking because you can get what you want and not want what you got. You can get exactly what you want and not at all want what you got. So he might be funny and hilarious. When you got problems in your home and he's cracking jokes about it, no one's laughing then. In fact, you're mad at him for it. You can get what you want and not want what you get. So be very, very careful. 1.2 million people decide they didn't like what they got every single year in America. I don't like that. I'm going somewhere else. Be careful. The psalmist puts it like this at Psalm 115. Psalm 106, verse 15. And it says, God gave them their request and sent leanness to their soul. God's got to be good looking. He's got to be all these things. Okay, fine. Have it. And what you'll find is that won't make you happy. So part of the prayer is, Jesus, shape what I want according to your will as well. Not what I want, because sometimes I don't even know what I want. Shape what I want according to your will as well, which is a huge, huge thing to pray, right? So he says that prayer. Look what happens so fast. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, dun da da dun who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahar, Abraham's brother, came out with a water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished drinking, giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether Yahweh had prospered his journey or not. A little creepy at the end there, but there's a reason why I think. 
So he prays and she's already en route. Who's guiding this thing, right? Who's guiding this? Before he finishes, it's not a long prayer. It was a long journey to the house because she had to run to get home. She's en route. It's, it's amazing to me. So sometimes I think we can take verses like verse 14 and make those like the only way. Well, I'm going to pray for this specific thing to happen, right? This kind of omen to happen. So tomorrow when I'm in the coffee shop, help this guy to come through that 6'2", 220 with big biceps. <laughs> that may happen, but I don't think so. What may happen may blow your mind. It may be an old dude who's like, hey, my servant's son is rich and he wants to marry you. That may happen, right? Could happen that way. I don't know. But be careful of making things normative, making, well, this is the only way for it to work. Because the truth is, this story is to tell us to do one thing, and it's to trust God. He's guiding things, sometimes that you can't even see. You're praying, and he's already working and moving things. Trust him. Trust him. Don't make a big mistake. And so he sits there and watches Rebecca dip a clay pot, which probably weighs 25 pounds by itself, into a well, fill it up, pull that clay pot up with no one knows exactly how much water, let's say five, six pounds. That's another 50 pounds, 75 pounds up, walks her to a trough, empties it in. She's going to do this for 200 gallons of water. How long is that? Two hours? It's two hours. He just sits and watches. A little weird, no doubt. But I think he was looking for something. Here she is. She's doing a very menial task, right? Drawing water, dumping it out. The woman at the well in John chapter four is like, I hate doing this. Show me a way that I don't have to do this anymore, right? This is the worst of the worst tasks, and she's doing this. And I wonder, I wonder if Rebecca, while she was doing that, was just like, man, I hate this job. I hate coming out here every single night and drawing water. Laban, my brother, is such a lazy, good for nothing. He could be out here doing it. He doesn't. My sisters, they could do it and they're not doing it. I'm always the one that has to do this. Imagine if she had done that. You think this wise servant would have been like, she's the one. <laughs> Isaac and her are a match made in heaven. No, she would have missed out on becoming part of the covenant promise. And becoming the mother of the dad of the 12 tribes and becoming in the line of Messiah. She would have missed all that if on this really menial job, she had complained and been negative. She doesn't. She works and works hard. I bet she did it with a smile on her face. I have a saying, anything worth doing is worth doing well. doesn't matter if it's pulling water out of a well, man, do it well. The New Testament just puts it as work heartily as unto the Lord. God, do you have me doing this right now? If I'm going to do it, why not do it well? In Luke 16, Jesus says this. He says, if you have been faithful in the little things, like drawing 200 gallons of water out of a well, more will be given to you. If you're faithful, clean up this, whatever it is, sweeping the floors, putting cans away. Doesn't matter. Be faithful in that. And I guarantee there are people that are watching it and are going to say, hey, I want you to help. Hey, step up. Anything worth doing is worth doing well. And I think the reason why this man watched for two hours straight was to see what kind of girl is she. 
and she obviously passes. So verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. This is like a hundred grand worth of money in today's. So he just takes a hundred grand essentially. And he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. And is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshiped Yahweh and said, blessed be Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, Yahweh has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. What are the odds of this? You just cross the desert, 500 miles. You show up in a town. You go to the well. You pray. And you meet your master's family. I mean, it's been said, I think it's rightly so, coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous right? We don't see God in this story, but is God in this story? Oh, absolutely. And it's to start shaping us to say, well, we can trust him. We can trust him. And the moment that happens, what does the servant do? He drops to his feet and worships and thanks Yahweh. I think about when Rebecca will make the decision to go across the desert with this servant. I just wonder if it was this little thing that caused her to say, I can trust this dude. He's a worshiper. I can trust this guy. And he's thankful. I can trust him, right? I'll trust my life to this guy. He drops to his knees and is thankful. So now we meet the family. So Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Mark that name. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister. It's just a little hint there. Dude saw money and he went running. Not necessarily the servant, Rebecca, who didn't know there's money, just says, hey, I'll do this for you. Laban sees money and he's on board. Thus the man spoke to me. And he went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, oh, blessed of Yahweh. We found out later Laban's an idolater. So he's like throwing out the religious lingo. Oh man, let's, let's, let's just pile it on. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And he said, speak on. So we meet Laban. Um, who here has watched Napoleon Dynamite? Okay. Napoleon Dynamite, the movie. I'll, I'll get the both sides. Napoleon Dynamite, here's who Laban is like. He's like Uncle Rico. <laughs> Just kind of a little slimy. You're like, oh, I'm not sure about that guy. All right? Okay, so if you haven't seen that, who's watched Leave it to the Beaver? He's Eddie Haskell, okay? <laughs> so that's the character, Laban, and he's going to show up again and again and again. And he is a... Uh, He's a conniver, man. He is a match for Jacob. So Laban is like, okay, we're introduced to him. 
He sees money that, that's like really cool. Ooh, money. And then, then what you see is the word camel in these verses comes up over and over and over again. Here's why. 4,000 years ago in this region, camels were rare. So if you had a camel, that meant something, right? It'd be like going to pick up your date in a Tesla Roadster or going to pick up your date in a Prius, right? Which one is going to impress her? The Prius. <laughs> going to pick up your date in a Volkswagen van or a Porsche. Which one's going to impress her? So it's camels are like, whoa, this guy has got some cash. He's got 10 camels. Uh, so like, hey, we got room for your camels. Oh yeah, bring them in. Yeah, plug the, plug the Tesla in, no problem. <laughs> and then the guy's like, I'm not going to eat until I've completed my mission. Because if this is not a go, I'm going right back out to that well and I'll stay there until I meet the right one. You can start seeing why Abraham trusted this guy as his number one dude. It's almost rude him saying this. No, I didn't want to eat. You know, hospitality was it in these cultures. It still is in many cultures. You don't do anything until you've eaten a meal. He's like, no, I don't want to eat because my mission is so important. So he's really a great servant. And then verse 34, we'll just kind of read. He retells it. I'll read it. He said, I am Abraham's servant. Yahweh has greatly blessed my master. And he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. Now they would know Sarah. Sarah would have left there when she was 66 years old with no kids. So they hear this, they're like, what? Sarah had a kid, they'd be giggling, right? Oh, and that's his name, giggle. That's right, it's Isaac, laughter. So this is like, whoa, I can't believe this. My master made me swear saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. And he said to me, Yahweh, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son, from my clan, and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. And I came today to the spring and said, O Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, if you are prospering the way I go, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little drink of water from your jar. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom Yahweh has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking, in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camel's drink also. So I drank and she gave the camel's drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to her. 
So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Did you catch that? A nose ring. Piercing is not a new idea. This is 4,000 years old. So a lot of times, young ladies will grab this verse and they'll say to their dads, look it, Rebecca had a nose ring. You know what I say? I say, no problem. If you're going to have a nose ring, then I get to arrange your marriage. (laughs) Two can play at the Bible game, sweetie. (laughs) Don't take things out of context because I can too. Then I bowed my head and worshiped Yahweh and blessed Yahweh, the God of my master, Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing has come from Yahweh. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as Yahweh has spoken. What they just simply say is, okay, that's God. We, we, we don't have anything else to say. This amazing thing where you show up at this well and she shows up at the same time right after you've prayed and she just happens to be of the clan of your master. It's unbelievable. Okay, take her, go. So Abraham's servant heard the words and he bowed himself to the earth before Yahweh. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. It's Christmas time, right? It's just like throwing out the gifts, almost like a dowry at this point. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Talk about just a man on a mission. He gets there. He got there late at night, gets a little water, takes a little nap. In the morning, he's like, let's go, 500 miles back. Well, her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days, and after that, she may go. Uh-oh. The word day here, it's not actually there in the Hebrew. It's just, let her stay for 10. 10 what? 10 minutes? 10 hours? 10 days? 10 weeks? 10 months? 10 years? You'll find Laban in a couple of chapters messes around with time with Jacob, right? Seven years, switches, another seven years. Jacob ends up being there for 20 years. So he's a little funny with time. So let her stay for 10. And it's almost like, a uh uh-oh, we just arranged this thing. I just paid all this money. Oh no, so this servant is not a pushover. He said to them, do not delay me. Since Yahweh has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. This is phenomenal in ancient literature. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Whoo, 
I want to get away from my brother Laban. Man, I will totally go. <laughs> oh. And so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. This is like the toast at a wedding, right? It's like that. This is their only opportunity to do it. She's leaving, probably never see her again. So they're toasting her and they're saying, have tons of kids and may one of them be president. It's really what they're saying. It's totally cool. Then Rebecca and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the men. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. What a huge risk. It's like Rebecca becomes a female Abraham. Abraham's called out of that same area. Go to this place that you don't know about. Go out there. Rebecca, this young lady, same kind of thing. Hey, there's this guy over there that wants to marry you. You've never seen him. You don't know anything about him. You don't know the family. They were gone before you were ever born. Do you want to go over there? And she does. It's like she's almost a female Abraham. So she goes, takes this huge risk. Now, Isaac, verse 62, had returned from Beer La Hoira. Uh, it's a little saloon down in the lower parts there. <laughs> I'm kidding. Beer just means well. And was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw. And behold, there were camels coming. So he's been waiting for this. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. The word dismount there in the Hebrew is nafal. It literally means to fall, right? Ever seen somebody get off a camel? So it's not pretty. So you have like this romantic moment. He's out like it's sunset and she's like riding up on the camel. Then she goes to get off and she just falls off. He's like, are you okay? But it's kind of like that. It's not sexy at all. It's like she fell off. Oh, that's awkward. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah, totally. Everyone's done that in front of a girl or in front of a guy, right? We've all done that at some point. Like, oh, I'm such a moron. So she puts on a veil. He would not see her after they get married. Talk about keeping a priority, right? I'm not going to make this issue about appearance. You're going to be veiled until you get married. So she took the veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What a phenomenal story. Love it. Let me give you two quick points, then we'll take communion. Number one, what I love is how Abraham's faith is contagious. If you look at the way the servant responds throughout this entire chapter, he responds like an Abraham, doesn't he? Trust God. Pray, trust God. Pray, trust God. The reason why this servant responds this way is for a long time, he'd been watching Abraham walk out his faith and he knew it works. That's how I want to be. My hope and prayer for myself is those that walk with me for a long time say, that works. That faith works. It's contagious then. Then number two, I would say this. You do not stumble into God's will. 
This chapter is about finding the right God will mate for Isaac. Did they just stumble into it? No way, right? Abraham has to think about it. He has to get his servant together. He has to make it really clear. Not, not a Canaanite, not this. Do, go here, go to my clan, do that. The guy has to prepare, pack up a bunch of donkeys, travel 500 miles across a desert, gets crossed there, has to think, through, where, where should I go first? Let's go to this practical spot. Yeah, that's good. I'm gonna pray, right? When it counsel, hey, wait, dad, hey, brother, what do you think about this? Yeah, seems good to me. Hey, Rebecca, what do you think? Yeah, right? There, there's, you don't stumble into God's well. You have to think and prepare and partner and pray and get counsel and walk and try things and reverse. Man, that's how it works. It works just like this. It's not sit on a couch and hope something good happens. It's, man, God, this is what I think you're impressing on my heart. I'm gonna go this direction. Redirect me if I need to be. The other side of it is this. I think it's just as important. You won't miss out on his will either. If you want God's will, you won't miss it. God's not like this greedy guy who's trying to keep Rebecca away from Isaac. No, he's, he's arranging things, right? I'm gonna make sure you end up at this well at the right time when she's coming out so that right after you pray, she's there, right? You won't miss his will, his will either if it's really what you want. When we're trusting in him, when we're saying, God, I want to be a person that walks in your way in huge, important decisions, then have all the confidence in the world that God is leading you if you're prayerful and practical and trusting and partnering. We don't have to fear. And so tonight we get to take communion. And if there's no better guarantee, if there is a better guarantee, I don't know what it is. Because Romans 8.32 says this, that if God spared not his only son, but delivered him up on our behalf, how shall he not with him give us all good, very important good things? What is good for me, God's not gonna withhold from me. And I trust him because he gave me his best. So we'll pass that out and we'll take it together. So Jesus, what a marvelous story. May our faith be contagious like Abraham. May our lives be both practical and prayerful like this servant. May we be risky, gutsy people like Rebecca, servants like her. And may incredible things happen with our lives, we pray. So may we ponder this story And may we let it shape the way that we live because we trust you that much more. What you did for Abraham, what you did for Isaac, what you did for Jacob, what you did for Moses, what you did for David, what you did for Jeremiah, what you did for Isaiah, what you did for Peter and Paul and John, you can do for us as well. And so may we trust you more. I'm gonna pray this in your name, amen.